morning and welcome to another interactive installment of African Dialogue. You're tuned into Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm your host, Zikon Amiso, and we're currently on the frequency 9625 kHz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the role of social media in the business sector and we'll be particularly zooming in on Africa in that regard. So I'm sure that's one topic that you'll be very excited to be discussing today. But before we get into the business of the day, let's get an update from the news desk with Anne Musa. In the headlines, the head of Egypt's Supreme Constitutional Court, Adli Mansour, sworn in as interim head of state. The Guinean government and opposition parties reach an agreement to hold legislative elections at the end of September. And a South African royal house chief worried about the conflict in the Mandela family. Good morning. The head of Egypt's Supreme Constitutional Court, Adli Mansour, has been sworn in as interim head of state. This after the military deposed President Mohamed Morsi in a move that his Muslim Brotherhood party says is a military coup. The military has confirmed that it's holding Morsi. His opponents celebrated through the night in Cairo Tahrir Square, but officials from, from Morsi's Muslim Brotherhood say the main rally in Cairo has come under attack from armed assailants. Mel Freiberg reports. The Muslim Brotherhood's TV station was taken off air and its managers arrested hours after Morsi was overthrown by the armed forces. In the temporary military-appointed government, Adli Mansour, the head of the Supreme Constitutional Court, will act as interim head of state, assisted by an interim council and a technological government until new presidential and parliamentary elections are held. He will be sworn in today. Former Secretary-General of the Arab League, Amir Musa, has welcomed the latest developments in his country. Musa says the move now paves the way for a new round of elections. Well, my action is very positive. The people, in fact, have risen against the previous regime. It was unacceptable. It was a big failure. Therefore, the popular will was translated into a decision, a supportive action by the armed forces in the direction of what the people have decided and have shown the determination that no more for the Muslim Brotherhood, they cannot really continue to rule Egypt into ruins. The Guinean government and opposition parties have reached an agreement to hold long-delayed legislative elections at the end of September. Mokhtar Diallo, one of opposition leaders, says the parties reached a deal on the conditions required for holding the ballot. It was originally scheduled for the 30th of June but was postponed after a wave of protests. The opposition had accused President Alpha Conde of planning to rig the polls. The UN-mediated talks resumed on Tuesday. It's aimed at securing the participation of the opposition. Chairperson of the Abu 
Abatembo Royal House in South Africa's Eastern Cape Province, Chief Tandutolo Madikaha says they are extremely worried about the conflict in the Mandela family. This follows a court order granted to 16 Mandela family members against the former president's eldest son and chief at Madiba's birthplace Mveso Mandela Mandela. The order provides for the remains to be returned to Mandela's retirement home in Kunu in the Eastern Cape Province from where Mandela Mandela removed them in 2011. The remains are expected to be buried today after forensic tests. Chief Madikaha elaborates. This period is very critical as the old man is in hospital. We are hearing from the media that squabble amongst the Mandela family about removing the remains and we thought that should not be like that because it's something that the clan or the family has sat down and discussed that issue and agreed amicably to do that sort of ritual. And finally, the extradition hearing in the case of Shreen Duwani enters the fourth day in London today. Duwani is accused of hiring hitmen to murder his wife Annie while on honeymoon in Cape Town in South Africa in 2010. Yesterday, the court heard from medical experts commissioned by the South African government and the Duwani defence. UK correspondent Natalie Ferry has the latest. The court heard from Professor Nigel Eastman the medical expert called on by Dewani's lawyers. Professor Eastman and Dr Cumming, the South African government's expert witness, agree that Shri and Dewani is still suffering from depression and post-traumatic stress disorder. While Professor Eastman believes that having just started new medication, a further six months in the UK could lead to an improvement in Dewani's mental health. Eastman did admit that if an improvement is not seen in six months, then there would be no point in a further delay in extraditing Dewani. Meanwhile, the South African government provided further undertakings on the treatment Dewani would receive in hospital in South Africa. Recapping the top stories, the head of Egypt's Supreme Constitutional Court, Adli Mansour, sworn in as interim head of state, the Guinean government and opposition parties reach an agreement to hold legislative elections at the end of September and a South African royal house chief worried about the conflict in the Mandela family. That's the news for the Sauber. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa, Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. News update earlier. You're still tuned into African Dialogue here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. The time has just gone seven minutes after 1100 hours. That is, of course, Central African time. Now, remember that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. And of course, in keeping with today's topic, you are more than welcome to interact with us via Facebook or Twitter. You can simply SMS us or SMS your views rather to plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. Now, without wasting any more time, social media is a genuine game changer for business more so 
in Africa. Now, companies which invested early to harness the power of social media have claimed returns as high as 20 to 1, with even greater gains predicted ahead. Meanwhile, those on the wrong side of the customer-driven uprising have already learned how quickly brands can e- brands' reputations can either be built or destroyed by the phenomenon. Now today we are discussing how social media is driving business, particularly on the African continent. But without delving too much into the details, let's now welcome our guests who will be discussing this particular issue with us today. On the line we have Dave Duarte, who's a rector at Ogilvy Marketing Academy. Um, Good day, uh, Dave. Are you there? Good day, Zikona. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. Uh, We've got in studio Keenan Herdeth, who's uh, Head of Insights at Cerebra. How are you, Keenan? I'm very well in you. Uh, Good, good. I'm looking forward to hearing from you guys. And of course, we have our lady on the line, Oma Dima, who's the founder of the fashion label PlusFab. Oma, are you there? Yes, I'm there. How are you, dear? Well, thank you, Omar. Thank you for joining us as well. Now, Omar is a founding, uh, a founder of a fashion label here in South Africa, and she'll also just be giving us insight about how uh, social media has been able to assist her in her business venture. Now, without wasting any more time, let's go straight into the uh, matters for the day. Kenneth, uh, Ken- Keenan, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to start with you. Basically, what's been the role that social media has really had in terms of advancing business on the continent? I think social media has played a critical role in giving consumers uh, a very direct and very immediate line uh, to business. I think it's given business an opportunity to play in a space that's been very interesting and been growing over a number of years. Um, But I think the biggest opportunity is really harnessing the power of mobile um, in in communicating with your customers, delivering better customer service, um, escalating queries, uh, you know, finding those brand ambassadors and really having critical conversations and building communities um, with people who are interested in your business. Dave, your take? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a huge opportunity. I'd say it's not just marketing and publicity, but uh, social media provides a direct way to communicate with uh, all your business stakeholders, including people that might want to get financially involved from anywhere around the world. You know, uh, crowdsourcing is a social media-driven phenomenon where hundreds or thousands of people can uh, contribute whatever they can afford or whatever they're interested in being able to afford to uh, co-fund startup business ideas. So that's another interesting angle. Well, I think it's time to bring Oma in now because she's one of the people who have actually utilized, you know, the media, as you guys have just described now, as somebody who started um, a small business, but who was actually able to advance it through the social media. But I won't go into it. Oma, can you tell us your story? Um, well, um, I use, uh, for a small business, I think it gives you really direct audience uh, of, of, of your clients. You don't have to pay a lot of money to you know, to advertise in magazines or on TV. So what it does, it really gives you that opportunity for you to, you know, speak to your audience directly, immediately, and they're able to follow you around. And then the interesting thing about, you know, a Facebook page, for instance, is um, if I put on a product like my clothes, um, what will happen is that you you are also able to even track the the your, your, the the number of people that gets to view your place. So you're able to, you're 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 able to track them um what's called the steps of how people, you know, view your your messages, view your product or read whatever that you write. And I mean one just one product you have about eight thousand people um, you know, re- viewing it and you're able to get 
that report on the dot. You know, you don't have to, you know, hire somebody that is going to be doing analysis or what. So I think for me, it has been amazing in that in that um, in instance, and it has really, you know, helped grow my business because you also get, um, you know, exposed to the world at just one click. Well, it does sound really interesting. 8,000 people from just one sentence, which you may put maybe on one of these um, social sites. Now, we've spoken about, I think what we focused on is a lot of the positive aspects that come with a social media. Um, Kenan, let's take a look at some of the negative aspects of you of using uh, social media for business, if there are any. Can you elaborate on that for us? I think as a business, whether you're a small business or a large, complex corporate um, I think the the major sort of negative point would be opening yourself up and really exposing yourself and exposing your services and products and also perhaps listening to a conversation that might not be in your best interest and might not be the most positive sentiment towards your brand. But I think it's vital that you do that um, and and find ways and develop content where you can negate that negativity. I think also one of the negative aspects for business is that you know, often big business doesn't really kn- know where social media fits. You know, is it marketing? Is it PR? Is it c- customer service? And so I think it opens some very difficult questions for businesses to start looking at how they structured internally and how they communicate internally uh, to be able to utilize social media best. And I think social media opens up and exposes a lot of those flaws and a lot of those wounds within corporates. Um, Dave, well, we know that it's no secret that the continent specifically has a lot of uh, regulatory frameworks, which one has to adhere to, especially when you are on that platform of a social media and, and, and whatnot. How can, you know, sort of people who are very text happy, you know, in terms of tweeting and whatnot, land themselves in hot water in terms of these regulatory frameworks? Dave, over to you. Well, you know, the, the regulatory frameworks of the whole continent uh, don't change when it comes to online. So defamation is defamation, intellectual property infringement is intellectual property infringement. Um, but because it's so easy to publish um, and because there's a sense of anonymity uh, online, you know, people can hide behind their usernames and so on, people think that they can get away with so much more. So here's just a couple of tips. Um, probably don't say anything that you wouldn't be happy to be broadcast, you know, around the world, you know, uh, because potentially any status update can be captured, even if you think that it's just private. Um, people think that, they, that they're protecting themselves by saying these views are my own and not the views of my employer, but, um, you know, your, uh, your Twitter profile isn't a legal document by any stretch of the imagination. So uh, everything always attaches to your profile. Um, be be aware that you know if you think that what you're saying is private, it's not. So talking behind people's backs or subtweeting or subposting and that kind of thing um, doesn't necessarily stay with within or behind um, you know whatever privacy settings you've got on these social networks. So it's just really important to bear in mind that the the web is far more resilient um, than. Uh, other non-online forms of communications. You know we might we might. You know, talk about each other, you know, around the braai or, um, you know, on text messaging, but online everything is published publicly for everyone to see. So it's just really important when it comes to respecting decency and privacy um, and dignity. 
Uh, Kenan, most recently we've had um, a, a problem, particularly on the Facebook social network, where people, it's been it's been labeled as cloning, yes. where somebody would be, you know, you have your own profile there as a business or as an individual, and you see that somebody has exactly the same, everything that you've got. How can this affect business, particularly? You know, I haven't seen it happen too much across businesses, um, but I think it, 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 it just sort of makes people think if, you, if your account was cloned and you then get requests and, and, and that sort of thing from a page um, or at least a profile um, that represents a business. I think, you know, you as customer, you would sit back and think, well, you know, do they know what they're doing? I think it runs a massive risk in that respect. And, you know, uh, in terms of your reputation and how solid is your social media strategy and the people who are handling your account, that they didn't have the correct privacy settings in, settings in place. So I think it's important that as businesses and as, as private people, that we go through our Facebook settings, make sure that our privacy account, uh, privacy account settings are to the max if you want it to be, you know, is it visible to friends, friends of friends, to the entire public. And we don't know. I mean, my, my account was cloned and I'm, you know, I work for a social media agency. <laughs> yes. But I've, I've always been very open with my profile. Um, and unfortunately, there are people who, who take advantage of that for their own benefit. Um, but yeah, I think with businesses, it's just a case of understanding uh, if there are any clones out there, not just on Facebook, but on Twitter as well. You know, on Twitter, there's often accounts opened up in brands names that are not uh, in, in not the correct uh, accounts. That's why Facebook now uh, and Twitter has always had verified accounts. Um, so I think it's important to go through the correct channels to make sure that you are known as the official voice on social media. Omar, are you still there with us? Yes, I'm still with you, guys. Okay. Omar, um, in terms of your particular business, what sort of um, the risk factors that are involved that um, Keenan and Dave have cited? I mean, what sort of precautionary measures do you then take as a business to ensure that you also don't fall victim to some of these things, you know, these negative aspects that can come forth with using these social networks? You know, I think one of, one of the major, major problems is that of having, you know, um, another Facebook uh, profile, you know, opened in your name. And unfortunately, because I'm not, you know, a technology guru, I'm not very well conversant with it. It's just to always keep in contact, keep in contact with my with my Facebook, and you you would definitely know when there's something, and you might be able to have, you know, another database of your people just to explain to them if that happens, they have not you know, um, accept a, 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 they must not accept another profile that is from you unless you have, you know, verified it when, with, with your database. But um, another um, another negative aspect is because um, I'm selling a product which I close, um, what happens is somebody can actually take my picture and, and, and steal the design and do it without actually buying it from me. And, you don't necessarily have power over that. So for me, those are the, you know, the major, the major challenges in the business, you know, because then you would lose a client based on the fact that this person used your creativity to, um, and, and read, redid it somewhere else in the world or even in the country, you know. So, um, it's one of those things that you're not even in control of and you just hope, you just give it to the universe.
Well, that sounds very, very interesting. It does seem as though and most people would say that, you know, being go out there, being on, in the social media, particularly as business for visibility sake or, or anything, that it's interesting to hear these negative aspects of being out there. Well, if you're listening to us and you would like to, you know, to air your views with us, you're more than welcome to interact with us via Facebook or Twitter. And we do hope that you're not being cloned. <laughs> you can or you can simply <laughs> SMS your views to plus two seven eight. Two three three two five nine zero five. I'll repeat that number. It's plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. And of course, you tuned in to African Dialogue here on Channel Africa. My name is Zikona Miso. Dave, there's been some consumer research which was done, and it's revealed that the usage of most of these um, social networks or, or social media, so to speak, is strongly related to age. Now, why is this the case? Yeah, you know. <laughs> Technology, they say, is anything that was invented after you were born. So, um, you know, for, the first thing is that, you know, we, we tend to fall back on what is most habitual for us. So for a young generation coming up who aren't used to, you know, writing paper correspondence or for whom text messaging was, uh, you know, almost, almost the first cheapest and most accessible form of communication, it's just a natural step, one thing after another, to start kind of sharing your life online. Uh, whereas, you know, I, I spend a lot of my time working with uh, senior leaders in organizations across the continent. And, you know, people who are kind of uh, 50 plus, um, while well, they see the benefits of social media and the ability to connect with a young generation and express themselves, they have far more concerns about privacy and proprietary than I find my younger classes do, who kind of almost are, are much more comfortable letting it all hang out. Um, so I, I think that it's definitely a cultural thing, but um, I, I just want to preface that to say just generally across uh, across the African continent, um, we the populations tend to be skewed towards younger populations, just generally speaking, and there's a huge cultural predisposition towards uh, you know ongoing connectivity, sharing, and contact. Anyway, so we tend to be along with Indonesia and Brazil, some of the heaviest users of the networks once we are on them. Keenan, your take on the age issue? No, I agree 100%. I think it, you know, it definitely is. I think in Facebook in South Africa in particular, you're looking at between 18 and 34 as the, the majority of you know, the, the age demographic, and that's about 60 70%. Obviously, that doesn't mean that there aren't older and younger people on, on the platforms. Um, with Twitter as well, you know, definitely a much younger crowd, but also I think perhaps more varied. Um, than Facebook. Uh, you're looking at students and artists, writers, entrepreneurs, young up-and-coming people. Um, I think the age gap for me has never really been an issue. On Facebook, you know, you it often depends on what you're using the network for, you know, as to why you're going to sign up. A lot of older people use the network to connect with friends and family that they haven't seen for a while, that live in other areas of the continent or other areas of the world. Um, and I think Twitter, it's more about the immediacy of it. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think age, you know, it almost doesn't matter because as Dave said, you can be anyone you want to be on social media. Um, and so I just think it's a very interesting a conversation around who's on it. I mean, Definitely. you know, whether it's your mom or your uncle or your aunt, you know, do you want to be on social media with them? Um, <laughs> and you can't really stop people. So, <laughs> Omar, in terms of your clientele, obviously there's a certain particular market that I would think that you were, you were, you were gunning for when you, when you put, did put yourself, um, put a profile up there for your business. Let's talk about the age okay. thing there on, on these networks. Well, for, for 
um, obviously, you know, um, the, the, between, you know, your teenage and all that, and, uh, I will, I will, I will say 40, you know, um, they, they, they are on Facebook, but they're not, you know, 35 to 40 are not necessarily very active on Facebook, so you would need to also constantly communicate with them via email, you know, um, but people are on Facebook for different reasons, and what I find now is that the evolution, people now are over Facebook, you know, when it, when it was just new, everybody was on Facebook because they were connecting with their friends and what, 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 what. now it's, it's, people then realize, okay, I'm, I'm really, I'm not selling anything or I'm not communicating anything, you know, I don't need this audience, you know, everybody who I, I, I want to connect with, I can connect with. And you know what? I'm just gonna close this Facebook. I've I've got into the fashion of loving Facebook, and then I'm out of it. But um, interestingly, um, whoever that that especially the younger the younger um, clientele, the, the older clientele, is that they connect with you on Facebook because they know that way they're gonna find most of the things that I knew. Um, social media is sort of a trend. It's that it's, it's a trend platform. So. People get to know about the latest trend of anything or the latest news for that matter. I mean, the death of so many people, I've, I, I, just, I, I, woke, I woke up and I knew about them through social media. So I don't even need to wait to buy the newspaper, you know, to know what up. So I found the older generation being on social media just to check all of those. And but they are not so active, so you need to communicate with them via email. But the younger ones are always available. And sometimes you know, um, too available because they literally, um, an average person, an average young person normally um, wakes up in the morning and checks their um, Twitter and Facebook in the morning before anything and also before they sleep, that is the last thing that they do. So there is a lot of, you know, presence. They they, they sit on Facebook and leave there because it's sort of like your second... Um, your second personality. Well, are you somebody maybe who's over 50, you know, and you can counter what Omar was saying about uh, it being only up until 40 people who are using social media to actually be interactive or to just um, have a second personality, as she puts it. You may please um, contact us. You can interact with us via Facebook or Twitter, or you can SMS to plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. And of course, this is African Dialogue, which comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. And of course, we do enjoy to have that interaction with you. So please do interact with us if you can. Now, Keenan, uh, broadband has rapidly sort of replaced dial-up um, as the preferred access method of using social media. Now, have we made great strides in this particular sector and how does Africa fare comparatively speaking? I think in terms of broadband and speed and accessibility, you know, there's lots of factors to consider, you know, in a country like South Africa, where internet penetration is fairly substantial in com- compared to other areas of the of the continent, but our broadband speed and accessibility is, is is not particularly great. I think we only, I don't even think we're in the top ten in Africa, to be honest. So, it really comes down then again to you know again the, the importance of mobile and social media, um, but I think it's it is it can be an, a hindrance. Um, I think when people want to progress beyond just being on Twitter and Facebook and really utilizing the power of the Internet for business, um, you know, that accessibility and the broadband capabilities within the country uh, then become an issue. 
Um, Dave, uh, Keenan speaks about our broadband um, our accessibility there in South Africa. We're not even uh, top 10, you say, in, in the continent. Why is that the case? Yeah, well, it's you know, there's, there's so many reasons, but I mean, basically, it, it uh, just wasn't really a priority here. Um, there's a huge amount of criticism for uh, the kind of parastatal telecommunications company, and people felt that there wasn't enough investment. Uh, that the communications minister portfolio wasn't given to senior enough members. So, so there was a lot of that issue, but, but I'm going to cut a long story short and say that it's basically driven by cost. As soon as the price of broadband comes down, more people get onto it directly. So th- there is an upside to all of this, and that's that uh, people in South Africa have become much more used to the mobile Internet than in other places with comparable Internet penetration in the rest of the world. How are we doing in terms of our mobile connectivity, um, Keenan? I think you're making great strides. I think, uh, you know, Africa is definitely um, driving a lot of the initiatives around African-built handsets, for example, which is which is something that I think we take for granted. Um, I think we, we definitely, you know, the sort of mid-level smartphone range is completely booming. You know, feature phones as well, uh, always popular in Africa. Um, but in terms of mobile connectivity, you know, there's lots of, mobile networks, Mobi sites that are really taking off in Africa. You know, Mixit probably the, one of the more successful ones that's maybe perhaps weaning off a bit. But I mean, there's there's so many cases within each country. M-Pesa, for example, in terms of payment, um, which is the Nedbank and Vodacom initiative, absolutely huge uh, in Kenya, for example. You know, there's lots of, of similar products in Nigeria and Tunisia and Ghana as well, um, where mobile payment um, becomes, you know, a way of life, really. Um yeah. And so I think Africa is 100% leading the mobile uh, generation and the, the mobile innovation, um, particularly around social media, e-commerce and stuff like that. Dave, um, in terms of uh, social media and those platforms, it's always been something that people consider an urban an urban kind of uh, trend, that it's in the, the people who are urbanized uh, in, in terms of who live in the urban uh, cities and, and that kind of stuff. But now we see more and more, um, are we, are we, we see more of, and more of these social media and that kind of platform branching out, so to speak, to all the different corners, you know, of, of the continent and the outskirts, so to speak. Um, is, are we doing enough to actually um, introduce uh, the Internet generally and um, particularly these um, platforms to uh, people who are out there in the outskirts of the continent and not just the urban areas? Sure. It's such a good question and such an important issue. You know, um, from the beginning, there's kind of there, there's been a, a, a kind of enthusiasm from uh, people in the rural outskirts to get more connected. It's just it's it's a great way to get involved in the dialogue. There's huge advantages of that. You know, you can participate more in the economy. You can kind of participate in information exchange. You can have your views represented, and there's multiple benefits. You know, for service delivery, for commerce, you can price your stuff correctly. You can judge demand. You can connect with customers. You can find jobs. So the benefits are massive. And sorry, and, and, and not to exclude the very important role of entertainment, things like, you know, being able to download uh, YouTube videos, to have conversations around the world, et cetera, et cetera. And so the demand is definitely there. And I would say that um, where, where the gap is being filled is more coming from private companies. So there, there's really innovative ways to get connected. One of the, one of the ways that... Um, that's recently kind of making making waves globally as a Kenyan initiative called BRIC, B-R-C-K, which is a rugged uh, um, modem 
that's designed to kind of work on and off electricity. So it can it can charge up via solar power or via plug point, but it's designed to work in places where electricity is erratic, where internet connectivity is erratic. So it will hop between, um, you know, Wi-Fi, uh, 3G, HSDPA, whatever's available, and you can kind of use it out in the field. Um, you know, in rural areas or in the most rugged urban environments as well. So that's hugely exciting, and that's going to be a for-profit initiative. So I think that basically I would encourage the private sector to get really involved in uh, bringing more connectivity to uh, rural areas. Another thing that uh, Google is doing is that they're sending balloons, uh, kind of like weather balloon-like things that, and, you know, will form a grid that will give low-speed Internet access to areas where there isn't cables and fibers and that kind of thing. So it's definitely going to happen, and we're going to see people that were never connected before getting connected, and the ramifications um, economically and socially and politically are going to be absolutely extraordinary. That sounds very interesting, especially the the balloons that you were talking about. All I saw in my head was like, huh, balloons? (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, it's not the kind of balloons that (laughs) I'm thinking in my head. But thank you, Dave, for that clarity. Omar, um, your your clothing line um, is is directed at fuller-figured women. I mean, we've got fuller-figured women in urban areas as well as the outskirts. Have you been able to reach those women out there? Or have you found that because they're not really connected, you struggled? to reach um, that, that far wide. Talk to us. You know what? For me, social media has just been that window and opened to a lot. I, 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 get, I, get, I got my product got exposed in all, the, all parts of, of the country and of the continent. I mean, I get orders from Zimbabwe and, you know, you never know whether it's an, it's an urban or sometimes it's not even in the urban areas, in Botswana as well, in, in, in South Africa everywhere, in, in Umtata. I think the smartphones are actually also, you know, fast-tracking, you know, the, the tracking the connection of, of, of us getting in touch with people from from um, urban areas and rural areas. So I think we are making progress. It's steady. It's going to get there. And the interesting about it, besides fashion, is that we, um, as, a, as, as a continent, as a, as a society, then um, all opportunities that are available, even in the in government, can be able to be accessed in the rural area. In the rural area. So people will get to know what is going on and be able to seek help because a lot of issues, a lot of issues in Africa is that people don't get to know about what is going on. There is no, you know, proper dissemination of information and mobile internet helps us, helps us to um, really reach um, rural people much faster than we would, you know, um, 10 years ago. But I also think that we also need to we also need to, you know, um work hard in making sure that um our broadband speed is um, improved because uh, a lot there there is to be we don't want a situation where there's a lot of demand that because of, you know, internet con- connectivity we're gonna have a challenge there and then people will lose momentum. The other reason is that for me as a business it must be faster. You need, if you learn collection, it needs to grow. And for me, um, mobile mobile connectivity has 
actually fast-tracked the turnaround of selling of the product. Omadima, right there, talking about the importance of mobile connectivity, saying that it's fast-tracking the process of getting everybody connected and not just everybody, not just people in urban areas, but also in the rural outskirts of the particular continent. You're still tuned into African Dialogue here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. And today we are discussing the role of social media in the business sector. We are joined by Dave Duarte, Keenan Herdeth, and Omadima. Stay on the line, Dave and and Oma, and we'll be right back after this break. You're still listening to African Dialogue here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Time has just gone now 36 minutes after 11. That is Central African time. And do remember that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday. That is 1100 hours Central African time. And you're more than welcome to interact with us via Facebook and Twitter. Or you can simply SMS your views to plus 27823. Three two five nine zero five. If you've just joined us, you've missed out on a big chunk of our particular topic today, which is very interesting. We are talking about social media in the business sector and, of course, particularly zooming in on Africa in this regard. We're joined on the line by Dave Duarte, who's a rector at Ogilvy Marketing Academy, Keenan Herbert in studio, who's head of Insights at Cerebra, and Oma Dima on the line, who's the founder of fashion label Plus Fab. Now, Keenan... So-called uh, social media moguls <laughs> were saying just last year that the vast majority of mobile internet traffic across the continent was taken was taken up by social media, particularly Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. You know, they featured highly amongst most African countries uh, as they were the ones that were top visited. Now, what is it that these three particular um, platforms are doing so differently? Because we, we know that they're not the only um, social networks or media um, outlets that are out there, but they seem to be the ones that are topping the list, particularly here in Africa. Why is that the case? I think, I think you know, for a number of reasons. I think, firstly, they, those three are the biggest in the world, and I think it would be natural for it that it would be the biggest in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that perhaps Facebook and Twitter and, and even YouTube perhaps have the most dynamic use uh, for people and consumers. So, you know, you can get your news, your entertainment, the connection with family and friends, information, you can express yourself, you can get involved politically, there's brands there. So there's various reasons why those platforms would be the most popular. Um, You know, if you really want to get into it from a Google perspective, YouTube would probably feature highly if someone had to do a search. Um, and you're in the same for, for Twitter and Facebook. Um, but I think, you know, also LinkedIn, Google+, Plus, um, you know, starting to develop into you know, into the top five, top six uh, social networks. I think Facebook, you know, very early into the whole social media, I think they got it right early on um, by creating, you know, it really was a networking social media um, platform. Uh, Twitter as well, you know, just I think people looking for something a bit more, a, a bit more simple. Um, you know, then Facebook, a lot of people who didn't like Facebook loved Twitter and latched onto that very quickly. I think also the fact that celebrities and brands are, are driving a lot of the conversation is, is a big pull in Africa. Um, you know, people want to be able to follow, I know, Nicki Minaj or their favorite Sophie star, whoever it is. Um, and so Revenge. I think... Yes, yes. <laughs> and From <I> think, Nigeria. <laughs> and, um, and, and that direct access to those people is, is something that no other platform offers you. 
Dave, what which one is your uh, particular favorite, if that's a fair question, of the one of these media outlets, so to speak? Well, yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, I, I left Facebook uh, last year. Um, it, I feel like it's a kind of Swiss Army knife of uh, of social media. It does everything okay, <laughs> but I want a steak knife for my stuff. So, um, currently, my favorite network is called Goodreads. And it's a place where it's a social network where you uh, load up which books you're reading and you connect with other people whose reading taste you enjoy. And you can get good books to read. And Amazon bought it, so I actually transact a lot. So it's a social network with a business model that's not dependent on advertising. Um, but that's, I mean, that's a kind of indulgent perspective on it. Personally, I mean, for, for business perspectives, I really find LinkedIn tremendously useful. Uh, so I, I've got a complete profile, and what I do, I, I work with a lot of freelancers. So whenever I need someone, this morning I needed a video editor, the first thing that I do is instead of going to Google, I go to LinkedIn, I type in video editor into LinkedIn, and I see in my network who has those skills or who, ha- who knows someone with those skills. So that's really, it's kind of, you know, I'm a pragmatic social media user, so I like LinkedIn. And then Twitter is just a phenomenal way to air one's views. You know, I've, I've, I've been using it for a number of years, and it's extraordinary the people that I've met and the job opportunities that it's led to. I mean, directly through Twitter, I think I've traveled to eight or nine different countries around the world for talks and consultations and that kind of thing. So it's definitely been beneficial for business as well as learning and getting news and so on. Well, there's a heads up to you, our listener out there. You know where to go if you need to put your CV out there now. For people like Dave, when they're looking for people. <laughs> there goes a tip here on, on African Dialogue. We do assist you. You can still, of course, interact with us. We've only got just a little bit more time with these um, experts, you know, to help us understand the social media better. You're welcome to interact with us via Facebook and Twitter or simply SMS your views to plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. That's plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero. And now, guys, unfortunately, we don't have as much time as I would like because there's so much to discuss around, you know, social media because it is something that's just created a buzz, you know, not just in South Africa, but just the continent and just globally um, as well. Um, Keenan, in terms of um, the future, uh, Omar earlier alluded to the fact that she wakes up, she looks at her phone, she doesn't need to go get a newspaper, she doesn't need to necessarily go and... Uh, literally put her CV out, you know, to places and stuff. All she needs to do is just click one button and everything is there. Do you think it'll come to a point where uh, this media and just the internet generally is just now taking away from a lot of the things that we have? I mean, look at print media and and stuff like that. What's going to happen in terms of the future? Just very briefly, because I'd like to get a sense from each one of you before we wrap up. I think the internet and and all those uses will definitely perhaps even enhance all those offline experiences, either through sharing it, you know, like Dave was talking about Goodreads, he's now going to go out and buy those books, and maybe not a paperback, but it, it sort of drives different industries and different verticals. And I think the, whether it's for personal use or business, I think social media can only amplify uh, everything that's happening offline. Okay, Dave, you? Yeah, well, look, it, it definitely changes everything, but um, here's an interesting thing. There's magazines closing left, right, and center. In South Africa, a 20-year-old print publication called Advantage announced that it's closing this week, uh, just because not enough money is going to print advertising because readers are preferring the digital version. 
Um, and on the other hand, uh, publications that embrace digital, that do it really well, like the Mail and Guardian, are seeing that the, the faster their digital presence goes, the more print publications they're growing. And so that's a really interesting insight, and that shows that it can be complementary. And Advantage, by the way, didn't have a digital presence. So um, just an interesting insight. I would say the more you embrace digital, the better it can enhance your business, even if your business yeah. seems to be in competition with digital. Well, unfortunately, we have run out of time for this particular discussion, but thank you so much uh, for joining us, um, our guest here today. We did have Dave Duarte, who's rector at Ogilvy Marketing Academy, uh, Keenan Herdeth, head of insights at Cerebra, and Oma Dima, who's founder of a fashion label for PlusFab, which is catering for um, fuller-figured women. And I'm sure you can find each one of them on Facebook and Twitter, right? (laughs) Well, except for Dave, who says that uh, Facebook is is old school for him. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us today, guys. We really do appreciate your time and just clarity on exactly what the role of social media is in the business sector here in Africa. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Nicole. Thank you. And with that here on African Dialogue on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, it is now time for us to check what's happening in our economics with Wisani Matebula. Good morning, I'm Wisani Matebula with your Economics News. South Africa's former Reserve Bank Governor Tito Mboweni has called on government to relook at the country's social security system. He's warned against an enormous expansion of the system, saying it could have unintended consequences of social revolutions similar to those that took place in Portugal, Greece and Cyprus. He was warning, his warning comes after the South African Institute of Race Relations report said the nominal growth in welfare had outstripped the growth in tax revenue in the past decade. However, the Treasury says there's nothing unsustainable about financing social grants. But when he says in many cases the grants do not even reach their intended recipients. Let's have uh, another look at it and let the social welfare minister look, uh, take a look at this and let's analyze it. At the end of the day, I think uh, we have always been committed to creating a society which is caring, uh, where there is uh, human solidarity and so on. And all that the, the government and the treasurer are trying to do is how to bring that into uh, operation. Meanwhile, the South African government is to institute civil claims against construction companies fingered in the multi-billion dollar tender rigging scandal. The Competition Commission has fined 15 major construction firms for what it terms rampant tender collusion between 2006 and 2011. The issue was discussed at the union buildings in the country's capital, Pretoria, where President Jacob Zuma chaired the Presidential Infrastructure Coordinating Council meeting last night. Ibrahim Patel is South Africa's Economic Development Minister. Cartel activity in the construction industry represents large-scale corruption and fraud, that they cost the economy dearly, that they have led to a significant increase in costs in the build program, and that Council mandated a coordinated approach by government across the three spheres to consider appropriate civil claims against the companies concerned, 
And despite South Africa's Mine Workers Union, AMCU's refusal to sign the mining framework, the country's Deputy President, Khalima Mutlante, says all stakeholders in the sector have showed commitment to peace and stability. Mining bosses, unions and government yesterday signed an agreement that will see all stakeholders coming to end illegal strikes and violence in the industry. Tsepo Mungai reports. Mining bosses, union representatives and government refused to allow AMCU to stall the peace process from going ahead. And despite AMCU's refusal to sign on the dotted line, Deputy President Khalima Motlante gave a go-ahead to the signing ceremony. Motlante maintained that AMCU has demonstrated commitment to the agreement. Egypt's central bank will offer banks $40 million at a foreign currency auction today. The central bank introduced the foreign exchange auctions at the end of December in an effort to stave off a currency crisis triggered by political unrest. Since then, it has allowed the pound to weaken by almost 12% against the dollar on the official market, while on the black market, the currency has weakened by even more. And the Kenyan shilling holding steady, supported by tighter liquidity in the market, but traders expect it to remain under pressure from all importers buying dollars. Head of uh, trading at the uh, Bank of Africa, Peter Mutugu, says uh, liquidity is beginning to tighten and that uh, supporting the shilling, the central bank has been actively mopping up liquidity from the market since last year. Traders say uh, coupled with uh, bond payments earlier this week, that has uh, squeezed the liquidity. And uh, look at your financial indicators. The dollar at uh, 10.04 to the rand at uh, 0.65 to the British pound and at 0.77 to the euro. So the currencies, one is dollar with 8.5 Botswana Pudas and 5.45 Zamit Guaches. Gold trading at $1,252. Platinum, $1,354 a fine house. And the price of uh, Brent crude oil going up now by two notches at $106.15 per barrel. And that's your economics news. Thank you, Wasani, for that economics update. You are still tuned into African Dialogue here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Zikona Miso, but I won't waste any more time. Let's hear what's happening in the sporting field with Tami Kluza. In your sports update, let's start with tennis. South Africa's professional tennis player Chanel Skipas continued with her impressive run in the semi-finals of the women's doubles in Wimbledon yesterday. Chris Bowers reports. One of the results from yesterday, South Africa's Chanel Skapers is into the semi-finals of the women's doubles. She and Shuko Aoyama winning a three-setter to make it a phenomenal achievement. The unseeded South African-Japanese combination now faces Shui Pang and Suwe Xie. As for today, you wouldn't have predicted this women's semi-final lineup at the start of the fortnight, but both matches offer a contrast between power and courtcraft. Sabina Lezicki's power could be undone by Agnieszka Radvanska's guile, while Kirsten Flipkins' slice could get into the head of the erratic but dangerous Marion Bartley. And now in soccer, former African champion Zambia is turning to a new generation of stars for the Kosafa Cup as they try to get back on the trophy-winning trail. The country that lifted the 2012 Cup of Nations in Gabon against all odds are hosting 
hosting the 15-day Southern African National Team Championship. It kicks off this Saturday in the capital city in Lusaka with features between Mauritius and Namibia in Group A, which includes the Seychelles. Guests Kenya compete in the competition for the first time and are in Group B with Botswana, Lesotho and Swaziland. Zambia, defending champions Zimbabwe, Angola, Malawi, Mozambique and South Africa enter the cup at the quarterfinal stage. Joining them at the knockout stage will be the group winners with Namibia and Kenya early favourites to top the standings. Zimbabwe faced Malawi in a quarterfinal match between the two teams who know each other very well, having drawn while all in planter friendly match last month. South Africa have climbed to one place to a 59th in the latest FIFA rankings released yesterday. They also rose one position to ninth in the ranking among African countries. Bafana Bafana played two matches, both Soccer World Cup qualifiers away from home during the latest window period. They defeated Central African Republic 3-0 and lost 2-1 against Ethiopia. South Africa will play their next match with a second-string squad in the Kosafa Cup quarterfinals in Lusaka in Zambia next week. They will host Botswana in their final match of the second round of the World Cup qualifying in September, needing a win to keep any hopes alive of competing in the final round of the qualifiers for next year's global spectacle in Brazil. World Soccer's governing body FIFA has maintained that they will continue to avail resources to help members' associations such as Zimbabwean Football Association, ZIFA, to adopt the best practices for corporate governance that will help them retain the confidence of the football stakeholders in their respective countries. The World Soccer governing body yesterday dispersed a three-member team to Harare. The team will, for the next two days, work with ZIFA to help the association to align their constitution with the FIFA statutes. FIFA Senior Manager for Members Association, Jameson Johnson, the World Bodies Legal Council in the Legal Affairs Division, Simon Stadder, and the Development Officer for Southern Africa, Ashford Mamelodi, flew into the country yesterday afternoon and immediately expressed confidence that they will help Zifa to put in place a model constitution. The South African Springbok rugby team and the Bafana Bafana team will play on the same field at Soccer City to honor Nelson Mandela next month. The Nelson Mandela Sports Day comprises of a series of activities that will culminate in the matches on the 17th of next month. This is the brainchild of Sports Minister Figlen Balula and Arts and Culture Minister Paul Mashatilem. The celebrations will be in a form of two major matches, the Springbok against Argentina and Bafana Bafana versus Burkina Faso. A music concert, a curtain raiser match between the Italian and South African football masters. Speaking at a new age and SABC breakfast business in Johannesburg, Mbalula had this to say. Everything is possible under the sun, and everything is more possible if you talk about uh, Nelson Mandela. And uh, it has never been done, and we're doing something that has never been seen before. Rugby, and I think this is not just for this year. Next year we'll infuse cricket, and then maybe the other year we'll have basketball, and our netball is going professional, or basketball is going professional. So many people will have many options. But for Madiba, for the first time this year, all people... Rainbow Nation will be under one roof at the FNB. So that is possible. And finally, with golf, an excellent field has gathered for this week's event on the European Tour, the Austin Open de France. Raider Cup stars Luke Donald, Ian Poulter, Graham McDowell, and Martin Kemmer have been joined by Matt Kuchner, making a first visit to France. Nick Dye reports. The event's long had a good reputation and the stature of Le Golf National has undoubtedly increased. Now it's a venue for the 2018 Ryder Cup. It's a hard and fast course with plenty of water and a dramatic finale and many players have commented just how good it is to play in preparation for the Open. 
The world number five Kutcher is here to do that as well as to experience the romance of Paris and to have a break in the south of the country. Donald returns after a three-year absence. Polter's a regular top ten finisher. Keimer won here in 2009 and he's clearly in good form after Munich. Tom Lavey tops the list of home stars. And Marcel Seem defends the title he won by holding off a late surge from Francesca Molinari. And that's the end of our sport. Stay tuned to Channel Africa and back to Zikona Miso. Thank you to Tami Kluza for that sports update. And now it brings us to the end of this installment of African Dialogue. We'd like to once again thank our guests for joining us today and shedding some light on today's topic of social media in business in Africa. While the dialogue doesn't stop here, be sure to communicate your views with us on either Facebook or Twitter, or you can simply SMS us to plus two seven eight two three three two five nine zero five. Remember that African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. But now for me, Zikon Amiso, it's adios until tomorrow. 